today with a special podcast, an interview of Fox Sports, Alexi Lawless and Eric Ronalda. This is Grant Wall, and we're going to talk about the 1995 Copa America and the remarkable U.S. run that took place during that tournament uh, to the semifinals, um, victories over Mexico, Argentina, Chile. Um, so let's go down memory lane, guys. The Copa America is going on. Uh, and and kind of lead me into this tournament, because this is the year after the 94 World Cup, uh, and you go down to Uruguay. Let's take it from there. Paysandú was the name of the, the town that we ended up in. Uh, look, to start it off, we this was a very unique time for the U.S. national team. Not only did we, you know, were we a team that was kind of coming together and riding off of the, the I guess you would say, the success of 94 Experience, but Steve Sampson was our coach, so Bora was no longer with us. He was in the stands a couple of those games, looking down on us. But Steve uh, had taken over, uh, and we we went on a fairly good run. There was there was you know that part of it, but the other part of it that people don't really remember or like to remember is that we went on strike. We got on an airplane on our way down. And we had a, we had a basically a good faith handshake deal. It was in writing, but there was some tweaking done to it. And a guy named Tom King, who's still with them, hands out this piece of paper that essentially says, "This is the new method of payment." And it was going to be if you were, had played zero to ten times for your country, you didn't get paid at all to play, even though we had asked for I think it was twenty five hundred dollars or something around that nature for per player, and. Uh, if you played 10 to 25, I think you got 500 bucks. If it was 26 to 50, you got $1,000. Anything over that was five grand. So basically what they were saying was, there's a couple of us that fell into that over 50 category. Take the money and screw everybody else. So we had a meeting in the back of the airplane, and we all said, we're not going to play until we got a deal, and everybody's going to get the same amount of money. Uh, there was guys on that trip... Uh, that were scared out of their minds because we were, you know, a couple hours later after we had landed, we refused to train and we were going to refuse to play uh, if we didn't get uh, a good deal or a fair deal that we thought. And we sat in a little room about the size of this one, 22 guys packed into it and vowed to, uh, to stick together on it. And eventually we got what we wanted, but those four days were pretty intense, to say the least. And in considering what then happened, this historic run that the team made, Lexi, what what was your recollection of how it got solved? Well, you know, like Eric said, it was a <clears throat> we were we were feeling our oats at the time. It was a year <laughs> after the World Cup. Many of us were were now playing in different places. You know, I had never even played at a club when I played in the World Cup in '94. It opened up opportunities for a lot of us to to go to different clubs. So now, not only were we were we physically and uh, better soccer players for what we had had over the past year, but we were, we were feeling confident in ourselves, and we wanted to use some of the power that we had gotten, and that's you know, the, the backdrop of how this tournament happened, and um, when we talk about getting together in the back of buses, in the back of planes, it was, hey, we, we got to do this, and when you're on the plane going down to a major tournament, I mean, Copa America... Many people know about it, about it now in the United States um, and value it, 
but this was a this is a, is and was a huge tournament at that point. And one more time for this group of players that had been uh, exposed to the American public the, the year before um, to to have a run at a tournament situation and show that we had progressed. But we got down there, as Eric said, Paisan du Uruguay. Uh, if Without the Copa America, there's not a chance in hell I ever would have been to Paysandu. <laughs> it was this small little town, and the locals were absolutely ecstatic to have teams in their, uh, in their town. We, our hotel had this glass window uh, right in front, and we would sit and drink coffee and talk and BS in almost a, a literal fishbowl. <laughs> and the locals would come up and stare at us because the security wouldn't let it in, but they would just stare at us through these... Uh, through this glass window. For hours. For hours. <laughs> no, and hours. Like all day. Hours. And, li- and listen, I know these guys, and they are not that interesting. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, so, but we get there, and it's, you know, we, we drive to the airport. We went through Argentina, I think, to yep. get there. Buenos Aires. Okay, and then got to Paysandu and went to our hotel. It was great. But we knew that this was coming, and uh, we informed, at that point, we informed the coaching staff that, hey, we're, we're not happy about this, and there are going to be some definite problems. And if you're a coach, you've got enough problems. And when you're dealing with this group, believe me, you had enough problems <laughs> if you're Steve Sampson, let alone uh, you know, contractual uh, stuff and, and strikes being threatened. So that's how the tournament started out for us, not even thinking about the actual soccer of it and coming to Steve and saying, this is the situation, and we're not going to train, and we're not going to play until it's resolved to in a way that we feel is fit and befitting this 1995 version of the team. No, so yeah, hold on. Yeah, so we're sitting in a room, I'll never forget this, with this, I don't know, it looked like a 1980 little like uh, speaker box. <laughs> and the whole team's there, and we had Hank Steinbrecher and Alan Rothenberg on the phone. And Alan said, we're going to put the, the Olympic team on standby. We're gonna, they're in Florida right now, we're going to fly them in. And they're going to play for you. And Tab Ramos leaned over. Everybody saw. He goes, "That's good luck with that." <laughs> and at that point, that's when we knew that this team had an attitude. We we were we were we felt the responsibility that not only were we fighting for ourselves, but this was a contract and a you know a method of doing business. You know, like this good faith idea. Um, that we had been taken advantage of enough times. And it finally, it just all it came to a head. They, this is the last thing they thought we would do, to get to Copa America and to dig our heels in and say, no, we're not going to play. And you know, when we went through three days. Mike Burns got stuck with the cappuccino bill in the lobby. We were, and I'll never forget, they standing there looking at it and goes, you got to be kidding me. It was like over $100 worth, of, you know, like $200. But they, I think they were like 25-cent cappuccinos. But we... we uh, we really did. We stuck together as a group. It was it was a weird, weird two days. But it's a but it's a classic example of organization and when you have perfect timing, uh, that type of leverage. Because we were down there and the tournament's about to start. Um, you have, like I said, some power that has been amassed over the year, and you, we knew that it was it was now or never. And despite the threats, and there were plenty of threats uh, both ways. So. So what ended up happening is, you know, we, we discussed it as a team, we discussed it with Steve, and then we would, you know, get on these meetings and uh, some representatives of the team, we, we would go into a room and talk to the Federation and right. say, this is the situation, blah, 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 and then we'd go back out and discuss it and go back and forth and, back, and go back and forth. And once again, not training, 
and not preparing in the way that you would want a team or players to prepare for a very big tournament. We didn't practice before the Chile game. We we did it. I think not we had, once. Well, we had one little runaround, yeah. and it was like you know maybe in the afternoon, and the game the next day was was a day game. Um, but I remember I remember some of the guys having you know those well man. We really, we, we better not screw this up. But. Yeah, because it wasn't. It was, it was a bunch of characters, and it was, believe me, uh, some some incredible personalities, but also some some young players. That now, when you think of them, you don't think of them as young players, but you're talking about Burhalters and and your guy. Was Hayduk there? Hayduk was there. I'm pretty sure Frankie was on that trip. Well, I, you, I mean, you're talking about Jovan Karofsky, and you're talking uh, about, like I said, uh, Burhalter, uh, Claudio Reyna, these types of players, and. You know, some of them, this was their first time being <laughs> with us. You should see them. They're like, they're huge eyes. We're sitting here going, you know, screw them. We're, we're not going to do it. Yeah, we got, we, and they're going like this. Greg Berhalter is 21 years yeah. old. He gets called in the national team, and now he's, you know, he gets called right, right into the middle of a, a storm here. Uh, but to their credit, they understood. And look, we could protect them a little bit. They could hide, hide behind, you know, the... Uh, the old veterans who were instigating all of this anarchy. <laughs> so how did it get solved? How close did it come to you guys not playing the first game? Well, it's, it's the age-old question. Are you, you know, is it a bluff? Yeah. Will, you, you know, will you when it really comes down to it? You know, it, depends. it was like the 11th hour. It depends I mean, who you ask. It was, ask. It was the, the, the day before the game. You know, the facts came through. We, our point was, in fact, that the younger guys, who probably weren't even going to play a minute in this competition, but we ensured that every single player, whether they played or not, uh, would get the same amount of money if the team was successful. Yeah. And it was great. It was the best feeling in the world that they, when the whole thing was over and we were on an airplane, we also made the demand of, we want the check before we leave, <laughs> before we leave and come back to the States. And I remember uh, they cut those checks. They brought them down to us, and I got to be one of the guys that passed them out. And sometimes in those situations, when you pass out checks like that, Everybody kind of hides it because, well, I, I don't know what I made and I don't know what you made. It was great because you made exactly what you made. I don't even bother looking at it. We all did, we all got the same amount of You money. remember so much more than I remember. I, <laughs> yeah, I, no, I don't remember, no, I, I remember I any of this stuff. But I do remember that it, it, it got solved and we felt a sense of, uh, of accomplishment. Uh, would we have taken it to the ultimate and, and not played the game? I think at that point... It was pretty serious. And be, but even in the serious nature of it, I, I vividly remember sitting in one of the meetings, and you know, we, it was just intense. And we were back and forth, and people were calling people uh, each other's names and stuff. And uh, you know, now incredible uh, coach Tab Ramos. I remember turning to him at one point, and he just got the giggles yeah. in the middle of this negotiation. And he had to put his shirt yeah. up over his face. <laughs> In order to stop the laughter, and here's this guy who, you know, has been, now, you know, he's a legendary player, you know, now he's uh, leading uh, national teams and stuff like that, and he just could not stop laughing. And he couldn't tell us why you know, he was laughing or anything like that, but it was just the stress and everything that kind of got to him, and that's how he released it. Uh, so we weren't, you know, this incredible uh, Wall Street lawyerly type of group that understood. We were winging it, to be, yeah, to be quite sure. honest. But, but it worked out, and we, uh, we, we finally got... A deal that was acceptable, and, and as Eric said, we wanted it to recognize everybody on the team in an equal way. And that's not always done on teams. I've been on teams where right. th that's done and not done. And I think for the national team level, we really wanted it to say, look, if you're called in to represent your national team and the privilege that you are given, um, there is an equality in that, that you're representing your nation. We wanted that to be reflected in, in the, 
not just the money that was there, but how that money was dispersed. So you played Chile in the first game. Right. You barely trained together. So we finally figured it out, and now we're going to actually play the tournament. And I remember the meeting that we had with Steve, where we had finally agreed and everything was good, and we're singing Kumbaya. And he looks at us, and, and you know, for Steve, this was his big opportunity, and <laughs> he had to deal with this that he didn't even think he was going to have to deal with. And he looks and said, all right, you guys better f***ing play. <laughs> and and it was, it's, it, it's funny to think about it, but it was true. We said, all right, well, you know, now we've been concentrating on completely something completely different that has nothing to do with actually kicking the ball. Now we've got to kick the ball, and there was a sense of relief, yes, but also now a sense of responsibility that came with this, uh, you know, the, the, the new contract and everything, and that it had all been sorted out, and we needed to go forward, and we needed to now do what they are paying us to do. <laughs> the, the, other, the other funny part about this was, because so Lex and I were roommates th throughout all of this, and we were roommates prior to that. We were roommates for about three years. And it was stressful. So I went down to the lobby uh, the night before the Chili game, and I got a, one of those, like, you know, Tijuana pails, like, you, you, where you get the, you know, the six-pack six or whatever, and they stick it in the, in the, and I tried to sneak it up to the room, and I had four beers. And I gave one to Lex, and, and I was drinking one, and we were watching this TV about the size of a shoebox. And we, there was a knock on the door. It's Clive Charles. Assistant coach for the team. So, and, and, I, and we're both sitting there with a beer in our hand, and, and he goes, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, and he goes, come on, lads, come on, you can't do this. And I said, well, come on, relax, it's all right, we got it, you know. We tried to talk, you know, everybody sat down. Uh, we had a short conversation just about the game. And uh, he, 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 went to, he went to bed and we went to sleep. But the funny part was, is we went on to beat Chile, then we, beat, we lost to Bolivia. When, when everything was on the line in that game against Argentina, Lex and I were sitting in the room, watching the same TV, was knock on the door. There's Clive Charles with six beers. <laughs> <laughs> he comes in and goes, well, it worked against Chile. Let's, let's do it again, boys. And so, hey, God bless him. I, I miss that man immensely but um, that that was just kind of like our way of dealing with all of that stuff but once the game started as real as our argument was that team was real we were very real we were very committed we were dedicated to each other and it showed on the field so you start off with Chile your group is Chile Bolivia which had just played in the World Cup the year before with a, a, right. their best team ever basically and Argentina uh, just a, from across the border, because you were literally yep. on the border yep. with Argentina. And I remember I was a college student in Buenos Aires that summer. Wow. And so I got to watch all of these games, as opposed to most Americans. Right. <laughs> no idea of what had been going on behind the scenes, because there was no media covering right. all of the, the labor talks. And the, had no idea you guys hadn't practiced, or barely practiced. And all i do is turn on my TV in Buenos Aires and see... Eric Ronaldo scoring goals in the U.S. beating Chile. Two goals in that game for him. No, no, but hold on. That first goal, I got the tap in on a good cross from Ernie. But if you go back and roll that, I think everybody touched it. Every single one of us. It was a rollout to, to, to Calajuri, who probably found Lex, who figured out how to get it to Burnsy. And there was a combination play in the middle of the park. It got wide, and then Burns hit a, a, a little pass out to Ernie, and Ernie just hit a great cross. And I just got to the near post and put it in. It was an unbelievable team goal. It was a great way for us to start the, t the tournament because it was really good soccer. It really was uh, a special goal. I mean, the other one was a free kick, 
But then this son of a bitch takes me out. I, that, I, <laughs> this is what this this is like the kind of stuff that that would drive me crazy. I, I remember coming in and seeing this little meeting going on, and Clive Charles rolled his eyes at me, and I said, "What?" And he goes, yeah, "You're coming out." And I said, "For what?" You know, I I, I like threw my shoes. I was such a diva, <laughs> and then, and I'm like I'm like I was really upset, you know, because I I one of these things that and it was such an ego idiot thing to do but I had never scored a hat trick for the national team I never got you know and this is also coming on the heels of Steve always playing me in the midfield and he finally gave me a shot to play up front you had two goals after 20 minutes I, but I was like this is great I'm gonna get a hat trick I'm gonna keep scoring this is awesome this is such a statement game and then boom you're out I was so <laughs> and then I made it all about me, of course. And the, and, but these guys know me well enough. No, no, no. These guys know me well enough to be like, "Shut up! Just stay in the locker room." But it was great. I, that was that was so important. So we start. So we start playing, and you, and you guys mentioned, uh, you know, Paysandu, and it is important because it is a huge character in this story. This this little town that just embraced us. I mean, I remember when we finally did actually train. Uh, and went to the, the training facility that they had, the field. It was horrible. It was a horrible field. And I remember after having discussions about we need to get to a different field and stuff like that, and a bunch of us said, okay, that's all fine, but we can actually, in a certain way, have this, t- have this, uh, this city embrace us, and we can be this adoptive type of team, especially considering we're, we're going to play against Argentina here. And to complain about that, would almost have been offensive, and so we we elected not to say anything about the field to get them to keep them on our on our side because to them this was a good field and everything. And um, I remember I remember doing that, and everywhere we went in the city, people were interested in in us, and, and obviously we're Americans and all that kind of stuff in this American team, and it was it was very cool. And as we started playing games, and there was press down there, I remember. Kobe and I got in trouble because we went out to dinner one night and we took a picture in front of a huge table full of beer uh, <laughs> bottles. And it, and it showed up in one of the local papers. And, you know, it, we, we had not... There was a little bit of truth to that, We did though. not drink all of those beers. Look, there were plenty of nights where that definitely would have applied to us, but that was not one of the nights. We just thought it was a cool picture of us standing behind this huge forest of beer bottles and Can stuff. Can you imagine like being Steve Sampson through all this? This is huge. are like, oh my God, look at this picture. Yeah, this is before Twitter and, and you know, phone cameras and all that kind of, or, you know, camera phones and all that. So it was, uh, so, but we started out and we started out the tournament well. And then, uh, and then we come up against Bolivia, and that didn't go so well. But that, uh, it didn't go well. It was really scary because we did outplay them. We had a, I had a really good chance to score. Ernie had a, had a, a, a great header. That, I mean, I, I don't know how he missed. It, it was just one of those glancing headers that normally he would have he scored it. And this, and is, really this felt, is Marco Echeverri uh, era Bolivia. Right. Pre-knee so. injury, Marco. Right, and he, he was fantastic on the night. Um, but the, and I, and I, he beat Friedel, he hit it between his legs. And I'm, I remember thinking, that's, you know, nobody does that to Brad. It, that must have been, he must have really threw him off. But there was, there was this feeling coming into the Argentina game that as well as we had played, we kind of got cheated in that Bolivia game. We really deserved at least a tie, and we didn't get it. So one nothing, uh, Bolivia, Echeverri in the 23rd minute. U.S. has three points going into the final group stage game against mighty Argentina. Right. Who are some of the guys who are on this Argentine team? Simeone was on that group, Zanetti, uh, Batistuta. Batistuta. 
Yeah. I mean, there, there, a lot of recognizable guys that you would, um, you know, there was a, uh, some of the guys that were maybe would be considered B players. Uh, Passarella was the coach, and he was um, very animated with his uh, comments about us, you know, even once we were there. Very, uh, <clears throat> he, was, he was just kind of shrugging us off. I mean, he really did add to the field of the fire. I mean, when, once we got to the stadium, um, I got into a little tiff with Simeone on the, in the, the pregame where we, we should explain this, but we had to jog. Uh, we didn't warm up on the field. Nobody ever did. So the, the two teams were actually running right at each other until they got to the steps, and then they'd turn around and, and run back the other way, and we're all on our runners. And Claudio mentioned to me that he was saying some really, you know, vile things. Simeone. Yeah, and, and he was really just making hand gestures. And at some point, I just said, hey, F you, man. I'm, I'm going to take your ass out. And he had no idea what I said. And then we came back around, and it was the, the two of us looked, made eye contact, and I made, I'm going to kill you. You know, I, like, I'm going to punch you in the head. And it just got stupid. And I had just shaved my head. Yeah, this is skinhead era yeah. <laughs> Eric Ronaldo, too. So and Eric I was like, going through a little thing this Yeah, summer. no, but and, I, I, had, and, I was lifting weights like crazy. So I was like, oh, I, it was, it's, it's like if I didn't, you know, if I didn't know me or anybody, I would think I was on steroids or oh, some yeah. kind of weird something because I was There was an crazy. intensity that summer with Eric Ronaldo. And being his roommate, I could, I could see the change happening. And there was a real intensity coming and both uh, internally and externally, and he had this crazy skinhead thing, that, and he would just run around like a maniac uh, out there and, and scare the crap out of people. So I know that it was the game prior to this tournament, we had to play against Mexico, and I had just shaved my head. I, I, I asked, I actually asked, this was so, I can't believe I'm admitting this, I asked them if I had a smaller jersey. If, <laughs> if there's any way that they could make a jersey so I could look bigger. I, it's, and so he put me at right, wing like I had to play right wing and I remember looking up at Ramon Ramirez and we still talked about this like recently and he he's kind of doing his little shake thing and he's getting his legs ready and he kind of looks up and he starts counting our team and he looks right at me and goes and I go that's right that's right it's me and you bitch <laughs> so I got my head shaved and, and Friedel told me later that Samson turned around to the bench and said is Eric always like this and Friedel goes Absolutely. This is what you get, coach. I was, so I was a little bit. I started a fight with Simeone, which is that's it, impressive. Which is we're stupid. It, it, they were, well, we went right at each other, and um, and Batistuta was behind him, and then he got in front and he said, hey, "Knock it off," because he speaks a little bit of English, and he says, "We don't like him either." Like, <laughs> I, I was like <laughs> but I knew I knew Bati from the whole Reebok stuff. So um, th there was a game before the game, but once we hit the field. We were flying. It was it was probably the most intense soccer game uh, I've ever been in. It wasn't. It was. They played with these penalty balls. They were really hard. Mm. But you, 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 the idea was it had to be short passing because you really couldn't hit you know a long ball without literally hurting your foot. So we would. Everything was very tight, but the tackling and our ability to get into people. Especially Dooley. Dooley in that game, I mean, it actually destroyed his game. He's a monster. But Dooley. but Dooley in that game was just that was a performance you you just can't you can't forget. There's great stuff on YouTube from this game. I highly encourage anyone to uh, Google Argentina USA '95 Copa America. Um, three nothing, United States right. over Argentina. Um, what do you remember from the game itself? He scored the best goal in his life. I'm I'm pretty sure. Good. 
But it, it that was, was your best goal ever. Hey, you had to be. It was be. pretty nice. It was pretty. It was. It was I, a near post run on a recirculation because the only reason I was up there because of set pieces, and so it was a recirculation, and the ball went out to Kobe Jones, and <clears throat> I talked to kids all the time and ask, you know, what should I do in moves and stuff like that? Look, if you have one move and you are good at it, you can make a career. You can play in a World Cup. You can play in multiple World Cups. Just look at Kobe Jones. Kobe Jones had this way. When the ball went out wide, he would get it and he had his low center of gravity and he would do this drag and he's right-footed, so he would, his body would take off before the ball would actually move and then he would drag it with his left foot and push it away. So, and he would create that separation. And nine out of ten times, you knew that there was going to be a cross coming. And I knew immediately when it went out to him that he was going to be able to beat his man with that drag and cross the ball off. And I got there just in a split second uh, ahead of uh, the guy that was uh, marking the near post. I, I flicked it on. It went through the goalkeeper's legs into the back post. And uh, You're not doing it justice. So. Okay, so flying back heel... <laughs> Like, it's one of those, like, like you got there first and everything, but you pushed off your guy, and then you backheeled it between the goalkeeper's legs at the near post. Now, I'm, I, I had a great angle of it because I was coming in behind. I'm, I'm, I was, it was a corner kick that I took, that, I, that the ball came back out to me, and I beat my guy to the ball, and then I hit the ball all the way to the other side to um, uh, Kobe, who, just like, just like Lexi said, he's going to go to the line. I remember thinking that and going, damn, I'm all the way over here. I got no job. <laughs> but we had enough numbers in there. But that goal, that, I mean, and your celebration was fantastic. It was a good knee, knee Big, slide. Yeah, knee it, slide. Was, yep. it was almost as good as the celebration when you scored against England, but it was, it was up there. Good knee slide. You know, when it happens, knee you've got to make it count. So now we're, so Frankie uh, Klopas had scored uh, early on in the game, um, 20 minutes in or yeah. so. Uh, and then 30 minutes in, we... We go up two nothing, and we're all looking around, going, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, we're we're winning two nothing against Argentina, uh, and and so we get into halftime two nothing. But Bati had a good chance though, right at the yeah. half, right before the half, the ball came over the top, and it was just bouncing up nice for him, and and Casey came up huge, but big, huge save. That was Casey in that game. Yeah, I mean that was still when when he was going back and forth. Okay. Um, um, couldn't make up his mind if he played Friedel or, or uh, Casey, which was really rough on those guys. That was rough. But we, when we got into the second half, typical tab. I mean, just like he was giggling in the meeting, right? So we, we actually are in there. No one's saying anything. And tab goes, hey, if we score one more, we win the group. And everybody went, <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> we get out of here alive. We're good. But sure enough. We, we, the, the way we scored, I got the ball, I gave it to, to uh, Joe Max, who made a good little run. Just Joe Max is never going to get beat to the ball. I mean, he's gonna, he doesn't care what it looks like. So he does this crazy slide shot something, and it's a foot race between me and the goalkeeper now. And I ended up putting it in from about a foot. Joe Max still to this day goes, you didn't need to do that. It was going in. <laughs> <laughs> but we, when, we, when we got in that dog pile, right, Tab was the first one. Put his arms around everybody and says, "We win the group if if we if we handle the next twenty uh, minutes of this game. We win the group. We all got to buckle down. We got to even. I'm going to play defense. It was it was it was it was pretty intense. And this forced Argentina to play Brazil right. in the next game, which they lost. Correct. And went out of the tournament and allowed the U.S. to play Mexico. Yes. Uh, and this is a forgotten, largely forgotten, or under-remembered USA-Mexico in a, in, a, in a bigger world setting with stuff on the line. You know, people, everyone remembers 2002 World Cup, right. 
But this is an elimination game in the yeah. Copa America against Mexico's top team, the U.S.'s top team. This yeah. is great until, stuff. Until 2002, it was the biggest U.S.-Mexico game in men's history. Yeah. You know, because it was at the highest level that you could possibly get without being at the World Cup. And just like in 2002, you know, we came out on top. No, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to admit it, too. Uh, this is, and if you ever find this one on YouTube, go ahead. Um, I had a breakaway on, on Kepos. It was a weird kind of play where I came back. I, I could have run with it, gone to my left, but I, I tried to cut back inside on Suarez. And I had Campos all lined up. I had him, right? But this is the genius of this little bastard. He, he, he fell down and got back up. And it threw me off. It did. He used to do that. He used to go to his knees and then get before yeah. the shot even yeah, came, so, he would go to his knees. So you look up, right? You look up, and, and he's on the ground. But the ball is far, too far away from you to actually shoot now. But by the time you look back up, he's right on top of you. And I hit a great shot. I hit it right where I wanted and it faster got his hand on it and, and it was and he went for a corner kick I think and I looked at him and he goes ah, ha, ha. <laughs> and I go I hate you I swear to God I, do. I just hate you but he, he, he to this day um, I, I, that's the one you kind of replay in your mind you know but we went to penalty kicks and we won in the, in the, in the shootout and the other and now Friedel's in the goal okay so it's that Casey back to Friedel we're standing there. Which is a whole other drama. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> a whole other podcast. <laughs> Dude, you know, that's back when Casey actually had hair, I think. I'm pretty sure they both had hair. But so, you didn't have hair after the end of that trip, right. probably. So, I, the other visual that I want people to try and imagine is we go into the shootout. And I, th- I went first, and I came back. I was just so relieved that I scored. And I came back, and I, and I stood next to, uh, it was Joe Max and Klopas, uh, and Harks, and I looked up, and if you can imagine, Friedel just kind of walks into the goal, okay? He stands in the middle, but he's in like a ball. He's like, he's, he's putting his arms around his knees and everything, and all of a sudden, he reaches straight up and grabs the crossbar and pulls it down, so it's wobbling. <laughs> and then he, st- I swear to God, he put his hands out, right? And I looked up, and I looked at Joe, and Joe said, he's covering the whole fucking goal. <laughs> And those guys could not shoot. This was, it was this the was most a move intimidating. That Friedel had protect, uh, had you know, uh, absolutely perfected over the years, and it was this you know angel of death type of yeah. It was amazing. This, this wingspan ready to you know lay siege to you. And as he as he got bigger and stronger through the because I I actually saw him do it years ago years before that in college. Okay. Where so this was a move that he did to completely intimidate you, where you know he reach up and basically. Hug the entire goal, yeah. and you say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" You look like you look like Freddy Krueger, you know, when he's coming out. He's like, it's like, "Holy cow!" No, I remember Frank Klopas put his arm around me and said, "I'm so glad he's our goalkeeper." <laughs> <laughs> we made all four of our shots, and they missed, and we got through four-one yeah. on, on penalties. Yeah. And do you remember? Because you know, Mexico over the years when they've lost to the U.S., not always that happy about it. Anything in that game? Uh, well, we played Mexico so many times, and so we knew all of these guys, and the the rivalry and the hatred was absolutely legitimate, and um, there were you know all these moments. But in that particular game, um, it, it was, was all about soccer. It was, yeah, it was kind of just the same stuff where we we, we will all agree to hate each other, 
and yet there, this was a tournament, and so we need to get past, <laughs> you know, we can't just have a, a, a street fight uh, to solve all of our differences within Copa America. Yeah. So we, we deferred to Copa America and said, this is a very big tournament, so we hate each other, but we're not going to, you know, bring out the brass knuckles here. So It was actually a very good game. It was a, a very entertaining game. Um, I remember, you know, I think Suarez had a good game, and the, their midfield, their midfield did a really good job of moving the ball on us, you know, because obviously they had, they had seen us play against Argentina, and the reality was is at times they looked scared. It was the first time I've ever seen the Mexican team a little scared of us, and I don't think it was my head shaved. Dude. I think it was just the attitude of the group. We, we were flying. Like, the ball, it was a mosh pit. You went in there, you didn't want to go in there. It was like... It was had, neutral ground, too, too so... You know the the games that we play here or down in Mexico City, and, the, and obviously the you know the the amount of uh, Mexican Americans that and, and for years even playing at home was an away game. So this was neutral ground. So there wasn't a, a U.S. camp or a Mexico camp or predominant this or that. So it was that might be the only time we ever had a pro American crowd. Like if you really think about it, I mean <laughs> even when we played America, it was like you know ninety thousand people and eighty thousand were were Mexican. So. We, we were the darlings of that tournament, so those people loved us. They were rooting for us. So, brief interlude here for a couple side stories. Uh, the U.S. has now advanced by beating Mexico to the semifinals of the 1995 Copa America to meet Brazil, the uh, reigning world champion. Now, I will tell this very quickly. I was a college student watching these games in Buenos Aires uh, with my expat buddies, and the night the U.S. beat Argentina 3 nothing. The custom in Argentina when you have a big win in Buenos Aires is to go to the obelisk, the center of the city, and celebrate. Mm-hmm. This is what Boca Juniors fans do. This wow. is what River Plate fans do. This is what national team fans do for a big victory. So we had the bright idea, having had a few <laughs> bottles of Kielmace, me and my U.S. friend buddies, and we're wearing our vertical, wavy, red-stripe U.S. jerseys. Argentina has just lost 3 nothing, and fans are unhappy. Yep. We go to the obelisk. And try and, and celebrate And that. celebrate. <clears throat> And it was a really bad idea. <laughs> a really bad idea. Because not only did we get just the worst kind of cat calls and we'll kill you and, and all of that stuff, I literally had my apartment robbed the next day. Wow. <laughs> and I half believed that it was because of... They followed you. You know? Well, Grant Wall, on behalf of a, a grateful country, we salute you. Yes. Uh, you, know, you, you took it for the team, as they say. But uh, to... to to give you an idea of you know, the, the scope of it, even though people didn't know about what was going on back in the United States just because of the times, um, when we played Argentina, because of the proximity to Argentina, there were a lot of Argentinians that came over, including a uh, very famous, uh, diminutive uh, Argentinian who came uh, to the game, Diego Maradona. <laughs> this is a great story. So this is, I mean, so we find out that Diego Maradona is. Uh, is is at the game. He's in Paysandu, Uruguay. <laughs> Where else would he would he be? And obviously, we're playing it. Um, and everybody has their little their their little moments and stories uh, from him. So after the game, there was like this this little uh, conference room where they had a party. It was a bar and some stuff like that where everybody congregated after the game. And I will never forget um, this this hush came over the crowd and this yeah. murmur came over the crowd and. It was the parting of the of the Red Seas, and but you couldn't see anybody, so it was just this this as the the um, 
as the crowd parted uh, and this walkway sort of appeared. And then out of this walkway comes the man, the myth, the legend, Diego Maradona. And he walked up to me and he said, I would like a jersey. And I did not have a jersey oh, at that God. point. So we, I sent the, uh, the, the equipment manager down to get it there. And that's my Diego Maradona. <laughs> that's my Diego Maradona stuff. No, he so. came in. Okay, it was bizarre because you had, you, I don't think you were in the locker room when this happened, but we, he, he came in the locker room first. And we were sitting there. We were kind of, we weren't celebrating. We were exhausted. We were just, I remember I was sitting with Tab, and I, I always sat with Tab. T- sitting with Tab's tough, by the way, because my whole career was, hey, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> you better get it together, you know? I like, Tab an opportunity yeah, to defend like, He's number 10, I'm not. Oh, that's what makes Tab great. <laughs> hey, you better, you better get it together, because you suck right now. If I were anybody else, I probably would have quit a long time ago. But we... He put his hand on my, my leg, and he goes, holy shit. And I, and I said, oh, my God. And he was there. He was just standing there, right? And everybody, just like the, I guess the room just gets quiet when he walks in. And we all didn't know what to do, and he threw a translator and said, I'm, and he was crying. He was actually weeping, and we were like, what? This? And he goes, I'm not crying because Argentina lost, if you can imagine. And so... We're kind of looking at him, and he goes, I'm crying because the Americans played beautiful football tonight. And he went by to each one of us and shook our hand. And I was just like, that was, the, and I remember, like, so I looked at, looked at Tab, and I go, did that just happen? And he goes, I had, and Tab was like, I stood up. I'm taller than him. <laughs> <laughs> goes, I always knew I was taller than him, but now I'm taller than him. But it was, it was, it was a surreal moment because wow. we as a team, you know, we, were, we weren't really celebrating our accomplishment yet. We, we really hadn't sunk in. But if you asked anybody who was in that locker room, um, and he had a better experience with the jersey and everything, but wow, just just to, for him to compliment us like like that was that was a, we have a, we felt like we kind of arrived, so it was cool. So another side story before we get back to the soccer is Thomas Dooley in Paysandu. Mm-hmm. The car bought a car. Yeah. <laughs> No, he didn't just buy a oh, car, okay? It's like a Model T. He, what he had was this that? crazy obsession with old antique cars. And so somehow, and this is, this is internet start era, okay? Somehow he figures out that there is a pristine uh, car that exists in Uruguay, down where we are in Paysandu. Um, and, he, and he gets taken out to see it. It inspects it, and it's great. And this, I don't know, somebody probably had it in their garage for years or something like that. So he decides, well, I have to have this car. <laughs> which, which in 1995 uh, Uruguay is easier said than done. <laughs> so it was a running tale that we, we would hear bits and pieces from Thomas about how his quest to, get the, to buy this car, number one, <laughs> right. and then how the hell are you going to get it back to the United States and or Germany or whatever, where he was going to figure it out. And we would, you know, we would tolerate uh, you know, those bits and pieces of this story. Oh, I'm meeting the guy, and oh, I'm negotiating the price, and oh, I've got I to pay the customs, and I have to ship it in parts, and how I'm going to get it back, and stuff like that. I have no idea what ultimately ended up happening. I, I know he got the car. 
He just wanted to buy something older but than he was. I think it was just, uh, it was it was like Quest. It had no, it, it probably had nothing to do with the fact that it was a car. I think he liked it and all, but now he was like, "Oh, I'm getting this. I'm getting this damn car. Yeah. And I'm gonna figure out a way to do it." And it kept him busy. Uh, and he was probably still shaking his head over the whole uh, negotiation and, and labor dispute. <laughs> I that gotta ask happened. him if he's so. got it. <laughs> so uh, somewhere maybe in Southern California, in Tom Dooley's house, uh, there is a old model, whatever the heck it is. Um, either refurbished or re-put together that started out back in Uruguay many, many years ago. I will set about trying to find out. Okay. Um, so now uh, the U.S. has to go to Maldonado, which is on the coast, right. for this semifinal against world champion Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and my buddies actually take the boat over. This is my first U.S. national team game I've ever no seen way. live. I have oh, pictures wow. of that night of me wearing my wavy striped U.S. jersey with... Uh, these Brazilian fans, dressed men dressed up as women. I, I, it's, a, it's a bizarre photo, but it, it's, a, it's a treasure for me, <laughs> okay. my first national team That's game. Amazing. And what I didn't realize was how cold it was. Yeah. So me and my buddies get over there, and we're freezing our asses off before this game. And so, like any smart person would, we w- went to the bar just outside the stadium and Warm, had a, a few shots yeah. <laughs> yeah. and end up in the stadium. Not many American fans besides us. Um, and the game happens. What happened? Oh, I'm going to throw hearts under the bus. He, <laughs> he left his man. <laughs> he was so busy yelling at all of us to mark up that his guy ran right past him near post goal. And it, it, it really stunk because he had such a great tournament. I mean, he really was uh, the lifeblood of the team. And, you know, I, I'll, I'm, I remember a play between Lex and I um, – one part was what the hell is he doing up there, and the other part was I just beat, you know, Roberto Carlos on the dribble, and I crossed it to the back post. I think you hit the post, and we almost we almost scored, and I I I felt like that game, Brazil was definitely better than us. Mm. They they were they were clearly the better side. We were starting to feel the effects of a game every three days, and I actually I got hurt in that game. I, I pulled my groin really bad, and I remember thinking the best part about it, even though we lost the game, was the fact that a couple days prior to that, we were rooting to play against Brazil. We were watching that game, Argentina-Brazil, and hoping that we got another shot at Brazil. And it it ended up, unfortunately, being the same story. We lost 1-0 in the World Cup, and we lost 1-0 in the... uh, Yeah, it was almost a year to the date that we had played uh, Brazil... On, uh, on July 4th at Palo Alto in the, in the 94 World Cup. And uh, as Eric said, you know, the change of venue, uh, some of the magic, the Paysandu magic was taken out of it. And um, it's, it's certainly not an excuse, but the, the way that we played and obviously the result, um, it, I don't know, I'm not sure we deserve to win that game against uh, Brazil. And the, just the, the whole... Situation had changed, and uh, you know, that's probably why we still hold Paysandu so close to our heart because it was this magic type of brigadoon <laughs> type, uh, type of experience for we us. We were getting closer, though. I mean, I think it was a, it, the way that we lost to Brazil in the World Cup. Yeah, you know, they we there was progression. We were yeah. better in this game than yeah. we were the year before. Right, and then so and then obviously the, you, you scooped a couple years. Forward, and then Preki scores that goal, and we beat right. Brazil. So it, it was a one nothing, one nothing, one nothing. Obviously, Casey came up huge in that game, but um, 
I still look back at that game as disappointed, but we were we were ragged. We really we were ragged, and not a, this isn't a slag on some of the other guys, but they just probably couldn't have helped us in that tournament. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing you see with the U.S. team now to to be in a tournament like that. Um, you'll see changes, and you'll see uh, you guys aren't expected to play. 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, three days apart um, because it's the only guys you got. We, we have better options that we can actually help uh, ourselves get through a competition. We were ragged at the end of that deal. We were, we were tired. It's interesting from a media perspective because these games in the Copa America in 95 weren't like the Copa America today where you can see all of them in the right. U.S., yeah. It was very hard, almost impossible. Like it was like closed to, circuit yeah. or you know pay per view type of things down at your local um, Uruguayan restaurant or whatever, yeah. whatever it ended up being. Yeah, so very few people not only saw it uh, but knew about what was going on because it was obviously before Twitter and, and this type of information age that we have, um, which is a pity because I I wonder what it would have been what, like. Yeah, what it would have been like had Today. people been been able to follow it and and certainly with the uh, the soccer army that we have nowadays uh, and the interest that people have in the team if we were to do something like that in Copa America, which is why <clears throat> it always irritates me. I understand the realities of the situation, but when we deny uh, invitations to Copa Americas, it always pains me yeah. when that happens. And like I said, I understand that there's logistics and there's timing issues and stuff like that, but it is an awesome tournament. And um, that summer was a great summer, and the Copa America part of it and what we did was, was wonderful. That's I can't, 20, believe, I can't believe it's 20, 20 years, years ago. ago. So. Yeah, and it was also the birthplace of one other thing. We, Lex and I used to always get a boombox. Believe it or not, that's what we used to do. We might want to explain to the kids out there what a boombox is. Yeah, right. Is. It, but that's, that, I, right. It, it was just, and we would always listen to music and blah, blah, blah. Um, but when we got to Paysandu, there was no boombox. So... We had to buy, he bought a guitar, and that was the birthplace of Alexi buying a guitar. Pretty much every city. Every city from there on in. And what I would do, my inclusion in this, was after we got done with the guitar, he wasn't going to take it home. It was whatever, it was just always an acoustics, you know, know, whatever old one, and you just go pick it up at a guitar store. But what we started doing is signing it as a team, and then I would, or somebody would hand it to the first kid we saw when we got off the bus. So there's probably like, Maybe twenty of those guitars out there <laughs> somewhere, but what a cool thing! Yeah, looking back at it, uh, if I were a, a kid, you know, you know, just being a fan of this team or, be, or supporting the U.S. national team, and you know, the, the guys today, like Kyle Beckerman, got off the bus and gave me a guitar signed by the whole team. I, that would be pretty damn cool. I wish I had one of those guitars. I wish we would have know, thought of that. Of that. Of you know, because oh, that we did give that away. They're out there. They're we out. Got, that team, that that Copa America team, as 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 much as crazy as it was, and as fun as it was, and the results reflect in, in a pretty solid performance. But we, I remember that we had a guitar and we all signed it, and we got to the airport and I gave it to some kid. I don't know who that kid is. I don't know if he smashed it or if he still has it. I don't know. But, but that was the birthplace of the Alexi guitar on the road. Well, uh, guys, really enjoyed going down memory lane here. But there's more! Yeah, well, Alexi, there's more! I just want to make sure that uh, all of these stories and all of these tidbits and stuff like that, you have to, everything that we say, if you're listening to them out there, after we finish them, just put allegedly, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right?
because time has a weird way of, of shaping these stories and adding or subtracting. Hey, I've told you a million times, don't exaggerate. So, uh, if it's entertaining, I'm glad that it's entertaining. Is it factual? To the best of our knowledge, most of what we have said here today we on this podcast is, at some point. Is, is factual. But recognize that it all is allegedly, and it's all coming from our viewpoint, so oftentimes we will make ourselves look much cooler and better than the reality probably was at the time. The only thing I will say at the end of this is it never happens without Clive Charles. Mm. Clive Charles, love the man to death. He was probably the best coach I ever had. And when we, when we did beat Argentina... And we were drunk in the streets, and that's the truth, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> and we were, we, were, we, were, we were walking home back to the, the hotel, a few of us, I will leave the other guys out of this, uh, their names. Protect the guilty. We were singing, ole, 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 give us the money, or we don't play. That was our song, <laughs> as we were going back to the hotel, and Clive Charles was still up with Steve in a bar, and we walked right past him, and to their credit... They got out of the bar and they walked home with us and sang. So those were, those were different days, allegedly, but that's my best story. It was a fun song. It was. Thanks, guys. about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.